on Dramatic Impact, part one of an in-depth interview with the Canadian playwright Vern Thiessen. When you're writing a play and you have a lead character, you must have the courage to put that lead character in the worst possible situation that they could possibly encounter in life. What is the impossible situation that they must deal with? And that's the hardest thing to do as a playwright, is to put characters that you like in horrible, impossible situations that bring out their humanity. Welcome to Dramatic Impact, Episode 9. It's been more than a month since I released the last episode, so I apologize for that. Starting in October, I'll be releasing the rest of the interviews I recorded for Secrets of the Actor, which was in episodes 7 and 8. Over the last month, I was away visiting family and then busy with employment prospects. I also attended the Edmonton International Fringe Theatre Festival and saw a lot of exciting new plays. Today on the show, I'm extremely pleased to present an in-depth interview with Canadian playwright Vern Thiessen. Vern is originally from Winnipeg and considers Edmonton his home. He has an MFA in playwriting from the University of Alberta. He is a well-known and frequently produced playwright in both Canada and the United States. His plays have had productions in Poland and Germany, and his play Shakespeare's Will has been optioned for Broadway and London's West End by Tony Award-winning producer Chase Mishkin and Susan and Leonard Nimoy. He is currently the playwright-in-residence at the Citadel Theatre in Edmonton, where many of his most recent plays have had their premier productions. Vern is the recipient of numerous awards, including Edmonton's Elizabeth Sterling Haynes Award for Outstanding New Play for Vimy and Apple, the City of Edmonton Arts Achievement Award, and the University of Alberta Alumni Award for Excellence. His play Einstein's Gift was the winner of the Canadian Jewish Playwriting Competition and of the Governor General's Literary Award, Canada's highest honor for playwriting. He has also been shortlisted for the prestigious Siminovich Prize in Theatre. For a list and description of Verne's major plays, I'd recommend visiting his website at www.vernthiessen.com. That's V-E-R-N-T-H-I-E-S-S-E-N. His works vary tremendously. His first play, The Courier, is a one-man show about a 19-year-old courier in the German army in the last years of World War II. The Resurrection of John Frum, Verne's first full-length play, is about the friendship and dialogue between a lonely young evangelical man and a poor, lonely old man who loves to read and, who's, and who has grabbed onto the story of the Melanesian cult of John Frum as the source of hope at the end of his life. Blowfish is a darker, more surreal play that I'll introduce to you in part two. His play Apple tells the story of a marriage on the rocks and how the characters in the play are affected by the husband's affair and the wife's terminal illness. Shakespeare's Will is a one-woman show in which Shakespeare's wife, Anne Hathaway, tells the story of their marriage from her point of view. 
Einstein's Gift is a historical play based on the life of Nobel laureate Fritz Haber, and Vimy is the story of the Canadian soldiers who fought and won the battle at Vimy Ridge during World War I. Vern currently divides his time between Edmonton and New York City, and I was able to catch him for an interview during one of his recent stints in Edmonton. So welcome, Vern. Thank you. I knew you back when you were getting an MFA in playwriting, so I knew you just during that brief period when you were finishing that up. But I don't know very much about the origins of your career as a writer and, you know, whether you started acting first or writing first and how you got into theater. I graduated from the University of Winnipeg in 1985 or something around there. And uh, that's how I really started. I started as an actor. I trained as an actor. I worked professionally as an actor for 10 years. And then very slowly during those 10 years, I started to write more and more and more plays. And I was living in Toronto. I'm from Winnipeg, but when I moved to Toronto and I was living in Toronto for a while and I had my first real big professional production at the National Arts Centre, in 1990, and after that I moved to Edmonton to pursue my MFA at that point in time. So I'd been kind of writing one or two plays at that point in time, but I didn't really start to think about myself as a playwright until the beginnings of the 90s, and then I didn't really actually commit to playwriting as a career until probably about eight years ago. So even when you started your MFA, you were thinking of yourself more as an actor? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I was really enjoying playwriting, but I thought, well, I can't make a living at this, and I wasn't sure if I was really any good at it, and... But it was something that I wanted to pursue. I just wasn't sure where life was going to take me at that time. I don't know. It was 20 years ago. I can't remember anymore. Okay. So what was the first experience you had writing a play? Like, how did that happen? Well, it was when I was quite young. I was 21 or 22 years old. And the first play was The Courier. Well, I guess the first play that I wrote was like something about Lord Selkirk and the Indians in grade six or something like okay. that. that. But, you know, I just remembered that like a couple of months ago when somebody reminded me of my elementary, you know, writing career. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. I wrote a play when I was in grade six. But, you know, I can't remember anything about it. But the first real play I wrote was called The Courier. And it was a one man show. And I had written it for myself, really, to perform. And, you know, that's how I got started. I worked on that play, and I toured it for a while. And then after that, I got commissioned by Prairie Theatre Exchange and the Manitoba Association of Playwrights in Winnipeg to write a full-length play, which eventually became The Resurrection of John Frum, which was my first kind of major full-length play. So that was the origins of it, which was really just being an actor and trying to find something that would promote me as an actor, really. And, you know, lots of people do that. It's a common way to start. Hmm, that's that's interesting. So you're not that old at all, but you already have <laughs> an impressive and varied body of work. I th- I'm not sure exactly how old you are. I'm, I would okay. guess like in your 40s. I'm 44. Okay. And you've won many awards, including the Governor General's Award for Einstein's Gift. I just want to know from your point of view, where do you see yourself in your career? That's very interesting. Uh, Because of the last eight years, I've really focused mainly on playwriting as a career and done almost nothing else but write in the last, you know, seven or eight years. I really feel like I've been churning out a lot more work than I normally did in the the previous 20. You know, I'm turning out a a play, sometimes two a year, which is a lot for me because it takes me such a long time to write a play somewhere between, you know, two and five years. So I've got a constant body of work kind of in 
process. And right now, I have enough projects to probably take me till I'm 50. And after that, all bets are off. After I'm 50 years old, I don't know, I might just decide that I've written everything that I want to say. And so I kind of feel like I'm either in the middle of the career or maybe I'm even heading towards having a major break in my career uh, after I'm 50. I, I have no idea. But I do feel like I'm an established playwright. I feel like I make my living as a writer. I feel like I have a body of work that people are starting to become more and more familiar with. And I, I feel like I still have a number of stories that I want to tell before I kick it. Before you kick it. So, can you actually imagine yourself stopping writing after 50? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I think it's, you know, I have arguments with my friends, and I'm about to say something rather controversial, but I, I really think that men in particular should, men, men, male playwrights should stop writing plays after they're 50. I, I think there's very, very few playwrights out there who write their best work male playwrights after 50 and I think women playwrights tend to actually get better and better and better with age and I think male playwrights sometimes get like worse and worse and worse as they get older and so you know with some exceptions Edward Albee being one of them but no I don't know what I'm going to do after uh, I turn 50 and right now I guess that's just the horizon line that I see really in terms of the projects that I'm working on I know will take me until I'm about 50 and after that, I just I can't think beyond that. Ask me two years from now, and I'll probably raise the retirement age to fifty-five, and then to sixty, and then to sixty-five, and then you know maybe I'll be dead by then. So, hmm. how do you think your plays have changed over the years? Well, I like to think they've gotten better and more complex, but you know I'm not quite sure. You know, part of me wants to say uh, I'll leave that for MFA and MA and PhD students to figure out. I guess the one thing that I've really started to notice or the thing that I have noticed the most over the last couple of years is that I think my true voice as a writer is starting to become a little easier to tap and that tends to be a poetic voice. That tends to be a voice that is concerned with language and how we communicate through language. So the work seems to be getting a bit more poetic right now, but that could change too. Uh, In the next couple of years, I might change my style completely. I mean, I don't know. It really depends on the subject matter that I'm working with and the story that I want to tell. But I would say I'm hoping that they're getting better. They might be getting more poetic, and I'm hoping they're getting more emotionally complex. Well, actually, I I wanted to ask you about the poetry a a bit later. Sure. Because that is something that I notice. Would you uh, favor us with a reading from Shakespeare's Will? And you chose the passage that you wanted to read. It's where Anne Hathaway, Shakespeare's wife, and Shakespeare first meet. That's right. It's uh, a short little section of a couple of pages where... um, Anne Hathaway is explaining meeting Shakespeare when they're, when, well, she's 26 and he's 18 years old. And uh, it goes like this. A country town like any other, a square with market, a high street with shops. I meet you at the yearly fair in summer, shading our eyes from the afternoon sleepy sun. We watch the players in from the city, don't remember the name of it, don't care really. We stand side by side. We watch a fat actor play the part of a fat actor. And you laugh and I laugh too, more at you than the play. Your eyes dancing, your slender frame hunched at the shoulders, your arms crossed, fingering your thin red beard, dissecting every moment of your mind. 
your eyebrows knit, trying to understand how it is stitched together, why it is what it is. I'm Anne, I say. I, you say. Of Stratford, I say. I, you say. And you, Bill, of? Same. Do you come here every year? I, to the fair? I, to see the players? I, a man of few words, I think. I like that, I think. <laughs> so over the last week, I've been really steeped in the world of your plays because I wanted to prepare for the interview in time, and I read ten of your published plays over the last Well, week. you should get an award for that. <laughs> <laughs> so your writing does have an effect on me. I mean, it stays with you after you've read it. It affects what you're thinking about, your point of view at the moment. Thank you. And your plays are very rich, and so I don't want to imply that there's just one dominant feeling that you get. <laughs> but one thing that I find really remarkable in many of your plays is the way that they evoke a feeling of loss. Hmm. I think your plays have the effect of putting the audience in touch with their own feelings of loss and deep fellow feeling for others. Hmm. And that's true even when you portray younger characters and even in your earlier plays when you yourself were younger. So I want to know, if is that something you see as well? And if so, what do you find intriguing about that theme? Hmm. That, that's very interesting. I've never really thought about that before, and you're, you're probably very right um, that there is a lot of loss in it. And I'm not sure if that's... It's not like I'm going to go back and go, oh, yes, well, when I was 10, I my pet parrot died, and therefore, since then, I've been writing about loss. I don't think there's anything kind of psychoanalytic about it, except that perhaps... Part of my family upbringing is Mennonite, and part of my family upbringing is an immigrant situation. My parents are both immigrants from Russia through Germany, and there's a kind of a Russian-German kind of Weltschmerz that pervades my family, right? I mean, there's just, uh, I understand Chekhov, I think, very, very well, the kind of idea that you're kind of laughing and crying at the same time. And I do feel like almost all my plays are filled with a certain kind of bittersweet taste. Mm. And I think that that is probably part of my worldview that I've inherited from my parents who uh, have had so much loss in their lives. Mm. And, and though I, I grew up in a wonderful, wonderfully loving family, there was nothing, there was no kind of feelings of like, oh, life is so crappy in my family or oh, it's just filled with depression and loss. But I think when you grow up in a kind of family that has experienced that, there is loss. But then there's also the flip side, which I try to do, which is to find humor in almost every horrible emotional situation I can find in my plays. Mm -hmm. And in particularly, I think Apple is very successful in that in finding great laughs in, in you know cancer, for example. So I think the element of loss is probably something that has come from from that background from my parents to some degree. And, you know, maybe some stuff that I've experienced personally as well. I, I don't know. I, I'll, I'm thinking I should phone my therapist right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a human being, but it is unusual to have it at, in your earlier place, I think, as well. And to have it 
it's just so poignant and and it is beautifully portrayed too but it just seems like a lot of times sort of the pivotal moment in the play is when somebody has been humbled or lost something quite great and then they have to find a way to go on and they make a choice about how to deal with that yeah yeah you're very right and you know in the courier which is very very much my first play i wrote it when i was so young and it was based very, very much on my father's experiences during the war. And I think I probably saw a vulnerability in my father, who I've written about a number of times in my plays. I mean, he kind of pops up in a lot of my work. And it's maybe something to do with the feelings of loss that I think my father has always had, whether he wishes that he had become a writer or he wishes this or that he just uh, is not afraid to show his own kind of vulnerability. And I think I've always kind of admired that. Hmm. And then again, just on a very kind of purely dramaturgical note, I mean, that's what we, I think, that's always what we want to see on stage is we always want to see loss. And often what I tell my students is, and what I have to remind myself about all the time, is when you're writing a play and you have a lead character, you must have the courage to put that lead character in the worst possible situation that they could possibly encounter in life. What is the impossible situation that they must deal with? And that's the hardest thing to do as a playwright, is to put characters that you like in horrible, impossible situations that bring out their humanity. Mm-hmm. Because that's what we're faced with every day, whether it's taking the subway in New York and you know wanting to kill people, but then helping somebody on the, on the way, right? You're, or if you're in a war, like the kids in Vimy, or a, a single woman, like in Shakespeare's Will, who's, whose husband is away and she has to take care of these three children. Like, what is the impossible situation that your lead character is in? And that will always incur loss and also, one hopes, great hope. So as you say, I too believe that your plays have become increasingly poetic. So... Shakespeare's will that you just read from is written in verse and there's very poetic heightened language in in I think all of your later plays there're just these passages that just tend to stay with you because they're so beautiful and poignant the the language makes you fully realize the subtle feelings and thoughts being conveyed and of course it gives the actor a very rich ground for creating the character because I think the actors are always looking for something to feed their imagination. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So do you think that style is an organic outgrowth of the themes that you've chosen to write about? And can you just talk a little bit more about the impulse to write in a heightened style? You said a little bit about it. Yeah. I think my use of language is developed in a particular way because of a number of different reasons. And in no particular order... The first piece of writing I ever did, I do remember, and that was when I was probably 11 years old, and I wrote a book of poetry Mm. called, it was about dinosaurs. (laughs) And um, I still have it somewhere in a box somewhere, I should dig it out, but it was a book about dinosaurs, which I illustrated, and and my mother, I think, kept it for a long time and then gave it to me. And I don't really know why I did that, my language skills were terrible when I was younger. They still are actually not very good at all. I really have to, and I'm not being, I'm not being self-effacing. I really rely on people. A lot of my friends, my close, uh, my partners in life that I've had have, have often become great editors for me mm-hmm. because my spelling's awful. My grammar is terrible. 
And, but I've always been fascinated by words and I don't know why. I have no idea really why that is. So that was, that's the first thing is that I've always been, fa- and maybe the reason I'm fascinated by words is because English is my second language. You know, I grew up speaking German. See, I didn't know that. Okay. And, uh, until I was three years old and I was terrible in English in school and I used to have to really struggle to be very good at writing essays and writing creative things were extremely difficult early on and so maybe I'm kind of overcompensating hmm. for that a little bit and my, my my interest in language I've always loved poetic writers playwrights I have a pretty good poetry collection at home in fact I am a not only a closet poet I am a failed poet and uh, but I'm working you know I'm constantly working on a book of poetry that will probably you know never ever be published because I'm too scared to show it to anybody because I think poetry is probably, you know, the highest form of writing. I think it is the the great art of all time. Is, See, I'm is hearing echoes of William Shakespeare here. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's true. I mean, and Shakespeare is like, you know, the great poet, but also the great playwright. But he didn't, I mean, he didn't think that playwriting would be respected enough, so that's why he wanted to, to be, be a, a poet. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, me and Bill Shakespeare. There's a great comparison. <laughs> don't think so well it seems true though (laughs) but you know uh, so I constantly read poetry and then I've also been drawn to modern writers who use uh, a lot of poetic language whether they're Howard Barker or you know one of my big mentors has been John Morrell and who who writes in heightened language and people love it on the stage I think audiences really go for it and if, if you can also capture moments Really, the use of poetry to me is, it boils down to one thing. It's how few words can I use to convey an idea? And I'm doing the opposite in this interview where I'm blathering on about things. But in the plays, I'm constantly going, how few words can I use in this play to say what I need to say? And as soon as you start to cut out words, you are in fact creating poetry in a way. I hope you enjoyed that. Part two of the interview will be available in episode 10, which I'll release right away. To listen to or download the next episode or to subscribe to the podcast, go to www.actingintheater.com. And that's theater spelled R-E. And you can also find us in the iTunes store. I'm Elaine Elrod. Look for part two in the next couple of days, and I'll be talking to you again soon. Mm -hmm.